Hi, and welcome to another Kirky Free Sermons podcast. We hope that our sermons help you further your understanding of the Word of God and guide you into your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you're tuning in on podcast or radio, we're glad that you're here today. Let's jump into this week's message. Let me pray for us before we begin. Lord God, as we open the Word together, come asking and seeking your presence, your spirit. That what it is you have for us in your word would connect to our minds and to our hearts. Lord, there is something for us each week. And I thank you for how you lead. I trust your leading, Lord. And I want to ask for your provision today. That you loosen my tongue and guide my mind as we look together at your word for us. I ask this, Lord, in your name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. I'm going to do something a little different. I'll stand together with me like we always do. But I have it up here on the screen. Let's read it out loud together. Just this one verse. Are you ready? Okay. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Thank you. You can be seated. It's a bit of a theme verse for this month, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Now, I got another question for you. Okay, let's see here. Do you recognize... What these are? Yeah. Is that what you call them? I don't know if the Minnesotans had a different name. I call them jumper cables. Okay, jumper cables, okay. Of course you do. I mean, maybe you had need of them this week. Anybody need to pull these out? Of course, these cold temperatures are, are hard on the car, and you know, what I'm going to do is just, I'm going to put these up here. Don't worry, I know what I'm doing. Famous. Famous last words. Don't worry. We're not live here. We're good. Um, uh, car batteries, right? They, in the cold, they suffer. From what I've read, the chemical reactions slow down with the temperatures dropping. and Well, the cold slows everything down. The engine and your oil gets thicker, and therefore it takes that much more power from your battery to get your car started. I don't know a lot about cars or mechanics. I just did a little reading this week. But I do know this, that without a charged battery, your car, your truck, your vehicle simply won't start. And the solution for a depleted battery is not to be found within that battery, is it? You're not going to get something out of it. You're going to need to outsource help to get a charge to that battery, right? So not only are you going to need some means of connection, 
such as cables like these, but you're going to need a healthy battery from which to draw that power from. As familiar as this kind of problem is to us, how many people in here have a pair of these jumper cables in their car? <laughs> a lot of people. And yet, this is what I've heard. I don't know if it's true here, but statistically, they say 90% of drivers don't know how to jump a car. I don't know if it's true or not, but 90%. So we've got the means to connect, and well, to get to a healthy battery is probably merely a phone call or a walk down the road. And yet, what good is that if we don't know how to connect it? Or, what's worse, we don't care to get it going. Now, I don't know many drivers anyone who owns a vehicle who is simply going to just let it sit and be dead because, well, it's the key to us moving, right? We're going to get it going. But that's exactly what's happened in the core of our spiritual lives. We're not moving. And we can't see that that's a problem. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger, thirst for righteousness. So we know from where we need to draw our power, our strength from. We know where to go and we know the means to do it. If you've been in this church for any length of time, you know how to go to God. But here's the key. This pronouncement of Jesus that we just read together is it's not experienced by the disinterested or the neutral, the ones who don't care to do anything about it. Right? The blessed are those who have a hunger who have a thirst. They have to want it. So why don't we? Or, why is it so minimal and so reduced in our lives? How do we feel that hunger and that thirst for God, for righteousness, again? That's what we're going to be thinking about in the, for this month of January. And Nathan and I are going to see how God directs us in this quest of understanding what it means to yearn and to long for God. And I want you to be thinking of it too. To be asking, am I hungry for God? And if not, why is that? What's wrong with my appetite? Now I think that it begins with this observation that we've forgotten what hunger feels like. Really, when's the last time you really felt hunger? I'm talking physical hunger in your body. We no longer know what, what hunger pains are. Not in our culture. My daughter in a way that only a five-year-old can express, uh, put the appropriate words to what I'm talking about. You should listen to your young children. You know why? Because they can, tra- they can take great truths and they can express them in the most simplest way. So she had been watching a Christian program where God had manifested himself to his people. You know, it was an Old Testament story. And I don't know if it was a a whirlwind or a a cloud that God appeared to one of his saints, his servants, and 
And so she turned to my wife and she expressed her feeling about the Lord when he left. And she said, I miss God. On another occasion, we're driving in the car and she's looking at the clouds and she said, I miss Jesus. And we had told her that, you know, when Jesus comes, he's coming in the clouds. So she was thinking, I miss him. And it just made me think, would you express your feelings toward God that way? Do you miss him? Do you miss him? Do you sense the absence of the Lord that, as you would if you were separated from someone that you dearly loved? Do you long to see him again? You know, Paul wrote, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. What I've observed is that our behavior, our lives, should be reflective of the nearness of Jesus to us. Okay. During his ministry, Jesus uh, corrected those who, who differed from him about this, about the appropriate behavior to the time. Okay, um, What was appropriate then and what would be appropriate later. Okay, And Jesus explains this in Matthew chapter 9. So if you would turn to pages there, I want us to look at this together. Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. So there we read, and Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The question. Now he doesn't come right out and say what he means by it, but it's a parable and it, it's not lost to his hearers. He's saying that at the moment he's talking to them, the situation is like a wedding, like a celebration, because the bridegroom is he's present, right? He's with them. It's simply. No reason for anyone to mourn or to fast. That behavior was not appropriate at all for such an occasion. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? No one needs to answer him because, of course, the answer is no. Of course not. It was not the time for the disciples to engage in fasting because the bridegroom, Jesus, was at that time with them. And so what Jesus was doing here was calling those who were engaging in fasting to see the true reality of the present. Fasting meant waiting. Okay. And some of those there were, to be sure, were fasting for what? Merely to look religious and to look spiritual. And you know what? That's why, in particular, they failed to see that the wait was over and why Jesus had to ask a question like this. Fasting for them had become all about really themselves, not about the Lord. Others, however, were, were waiting, and they were waiting with great anticipation for the Messiah's arrival. Men like Simeon the priest and Anna the prophetess. Do you remember them? In Luke chapter 2. Both these individuals were at the temple, and Simeon, it says, he was devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And Anna was a young widow, had been a young widow, and then lived out the rest of her days 
worshiping in the temple. And it says that she was praying and she was fasting. So here, both of these people were yearning, both were looking for Messiah to arrive. And isn't it interesting that both of these people, the ones who are yearning, the ones who are looking for him, are blessed to see him. Their eyes are able to see him, right? In other words, they were hungry and they were satisfied. But Jesus had to explain this to those who were fasting for, well, for reputation's sake. Because they came to a wedding dressed for a funeral. Now was not the time. The bridegroom's here. Okay, but notice now, Jesus doesn't just reveal what's appropriate for that time, for the then, but what behavior should characterize the future. Because Jesus continues here, right? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus is saying the bridegroom's here, but not indefinitely. The time will come when he is going to be removed. And as Jesus' life unfolds before us, and we've read it, we know that he is going to be killed, he's going to be raised to life, and then he's going to be taken up into heaven. Now, that's not something yet to happen from our point of view, right? What was future to these men here in this text is now present reality for us. Unless, of course, we've walked into a new age of salvation history and is this the new heaven and new earth and I didn't know about it? No, I don't think so, right? In other words, Jesus, the bridegroom, is still in heaven while his bride, his own people called the church, remain here on earth. That disjointed existence, you're away from the Lord, is now. Jesus was here. And when he was here, the preparations for the wedding were all accomplished. You realize that? Jesus, the only truly loving husband, laid down his life to wash and to adorn his bride. And all that was necessary to make her clean and beautiful was provided through him. But just when it appeared that the wedding was coming, our bridegroom was taken. And we're like the bride in the Song of Songs who said, On my bed by night I sought him, whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. But she kept on looking, she kept on searching, and we, like this woman, have been separated from the one that, well, honestly, he does mean the most to us, does he not? Now, wouldn't that call then for the proper response? Hence, Jesus says that when this happens, then they will fast, right? So my question is, will they? Do they? Well, maybe they did, past tense, or... Maybe they do elsewhere. But I don't see no fasting going on here in America, in the West, or among us. 
and I'm in that camp. What happened to my longing, to my hunger? Really, where is it? We can call out the inappropriateness of those who were mourning here in the text, right, when they should have been enjoying. But what about the inappropriateness of those who were who are enjoying right now when they should be mourning? Because Jesus isn't here right now. But does anybody show that they miss him? And listen, we're not diminishing the significance of the Holy Spirit, of Christ in us, but this is not the culmination of our union to Him. In fact, what's the word say? It's the Spirit and the Bride that say, Come, Lord Jesus. We're thirsty for You. That's the Spirit in us speaking. He longs for this. But here we are enjoying when we ought to be longing. Now, in our minds, we know our bridegroom has been taken out of sight, and yet so little of our time, so little of our energy seems geared by this. So what does a longing heart do? Well, Jesus described the elect in Luke 18, verse 7. This is a parable, and he says this, And will not God give justice to his elect? Now listen, who cry to him. Day and night. Will he delay long over them? Is that us? Are we crying out to him? Are we crying day and night? We are a bride who is no longer aching within. And it's not because the groom has become any less lovely. Right? So why then? Why? I would contend this, that we have bought into the culture of sensuality. Not just immoralities, but broader than that. What I mean is this, we do not deny ourselves anything. We've grown so accustomed to an earthly life as that is, if you want it, well, go ahead and get it. You want ice cream tonight? Go and eat it. There it is. You want to eat that? Go get it. So much so that we no longer hear or feel any kind of spiritual longing. In other words, our appetite for God has just been drowned out. It's been smothered by having all of our needs, our wants, in the snap of a finger. And you know what? None of that is going to spark your engine to life. It's like taking one of these and hooking up a double-A battery in here. And we're wondering why we aren't going anywhere. Why aren't we moving? Well, no wonder. Because that's what, how we're doing with our hearts. Hooking up to all these little double-A batteries. We don't allow ourselves to feel the ache of our existence without Jesus. So the prayer, come Lord Jesus, honestly, has probably become quite trite for us. If we're honest, we probably pray that because we want Jesus to come so that he would alleviate some problem that we're experiencing in our life, right? It's for our comfort, in other words. Just come because we're uncomfortable right now. It's not because we long for him. 
When's the last time that you can honestly say you abstain from a physical appetite? Not just food, but a physical appetite because your hunger for God was just louder, more emphatic on your heart, on your soul. We can skip meals and we can go without this or that for many reasons, maybe even in the name of God, but was it really for God or was it just for yourself some other want? Listen, if in your spirit you sense the disparity between what you should feel towards the Lord, who's not here, and how you're actually living, you can do something. You can encourage a greater hunger for God. Listen, folks, you can get hungry. But firstly, how? By repenting. What? That you so love the world, not in the John 3.16 way, but in the for me way, that you so love the world that you stopped longing for him. You say, God, I'm so sorry that I haven't missed you. Restore my love for you. Let me not be too quick to fill my body and my mind with all these other things that are doomed to perish. But rather, let me find my satisfaction what abides in your word. Right? What the Bible says is taste, so taste and see. And when I get hungry, then taste. Okay. And secondly, my friends, you start getting serious about being spiritually disciplined. Not because by it you gain approval with God. No, in Christ you are approved. You are already approved. It's not to win his favor. You do it because you love him. Because he means that much to you. You miss him. In the succeeding weeks, we're going to unpack this more. The the way we can discipline ourselves to be hungry for God. But you got to eat some healthy spiritual meals. Okay? Little devotional vitamins and the once over on Sunday is not going to keep you. And friends, last, you need to feed your hunger. Listen, with fasting. When you start hungering for God, then, as Jesus said, you will fast. It's not a command here, right? Jesus never commanded his disciples that you must do this. But he did describe his disciples as doing it. When I'm gone, then you will fast. Okay? It's what disciples who miss Jesus do. They mourn that they're not with him. It's not just an Old Testament practice. Okay? Otherwise, why would Jesus go about teaching us how to do it? Right, Matthew chapter 6. Or foretell that his followers here would do it. And besides that, read the rest of the New Testament church. Read Acts. And what you're going to find is a church that is praying, and they are praying with fasting. Think of it this way, that it's simply a part of your prayer life. As you pray, you do so even to the point of without food. That's what it is. So those who are hungry for God do. Okay, And believers encourage that hunger by letting it be felt in their bodies. 
And what that does is it accentuates that spiritual appetite that has been dormant and covered up by all these other stuff. You know, when you should do this? Well, you should do it privately. And I think you should do it with others. What if as a small group, you decide, you know what, we meet in the evening, let's fast in the afternoon, let's go without some food, let's pray on our own at home, and then when we come together, we're going to seek the Lord. Right? We're going to let that hunger be felt in us, or we're going to drive it to Him, and then we're going to eat a meal together afterward. You could do that. What depth that would add to our otherwise lethargic spirituality. Okay, but one thing I'm not going to do is this. I'm not going to make some formal plan of it. Okay, because fasting like prayer is not an event that you schedule so that we, well, we'll do it and then we move on, right? Do we want to be hungry for righteousness for a day? We can make that happen. But the last thing I would want to do is confine it to some particular time so that we can then forget about it and make sure our hunger is never felt again. No, as long as your precious Savior is hidden from you, your hunger from Him should ever be growing. Right? That's what's appropriate to the time. This is not home. This is exile. And we should be hungry. So let's pray. Or maybe it's just a moment right now where we need to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't miss you. I certainly didn't show it. Lord, do whatever it takes in my life to let a hunger for you be felt in me. Because it is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that are satisfied, that are blessed. God, may that be our experience. We ask it in Jesus' name. This message was brought to you by the Kirkoven Evangelical Free Church of Kirkoven, Minnesota. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please email us at kirkefree at gmail.com. That's K-E-R-K-E-free at gmail.com.